Lily, I'm really excited for today's episode. Aren't you excited for all our episodes? But, you know, anyway, tell me why exactly. Well, finally, after years of us doing this podcast, we have someone on who can give us feedback on these intros. And they can tell us if our commitment to bad jokes in them is quality humor or not. Um, okay. I hate to break it to you, Randy, but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, okay, yes, our guest is Lena Zubite, and her title is Head of Quality at Doodle. But I don't think that means what you think it means. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I'm sure she'll be a quality guest who will give us some advice of real quality about making great products. Um, okay, let's just quickly stop you there before you actually ruin this episode <laughs> with all of your quality jokes. <laughs> and let's get straight to our chat with Lena. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. And there's probably one near you. Lena, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. So the first question we ask everyone is, how did you get into product and what do you do these days? But you're kind of product adjacent. I mean, do you consider yourself a product person or what's the right term for what you do? So I was thinking about this question. I was wondering, could I say that I dipped my toes, dipped my toes into product when <laughs> I stepped into software testing? And I feel like, yes. Because I started my career in software testing and testing a product means working with a product, right? And the way I got into product or testing <laughs> was that I studied mathematics at university and I loved solving puzzles just for fun. And I went to a career fair and there was a company that had this thinking outside the box problem solving competition. and. I solved those problems just for fun. I won a mouse pad, very useful prize. And it turns out <laughs> that they were trying to hire software testers. And that really sparked my curiosity because I was thinking, okay, so I can use these problem-solving skills to actually work in tech. And it was an interesting field and I could try different scenarios and be creative. So that's how I started my career in software testing. It did evolve quite a lot, I would say. So I wouldn't say um, I have these uh, right now opinions about that quality is much more than testing. That testing is an activity that we tend to do. And with more and more experience, my understanding of QA role grew a lot. And that involves a lot of collaboration with products because there's this motto that we have, build the right product the right way. If we want to build the right product, that's a big mission that we're on to. And currently, I'm the head of quality at Doodle. So I'm working much more with strategic view as well as how to do this in practice. How to we build the right product the right way. So one of the things we say a lot, or well, it's said a lot anyway, is the, the idea of, you know, we want to ship things. So better done than perfect sometimes. 
how does that sit with a quality person? And actually, even before that, how do we define quality? How do you balance that, you know, the, the, the tension between getting stuff out in the world and getting it perfect? It's it's a brilliant question, and I love that quote actually better than than perfect. Um, to begin with, what is quality? I even wrote an article on this because, as many people ask this, there may be different opinions on it. However, usual answer is it depends. It depends on the context, and I feel like Jerry Weinberg has the best definition of it. So he said that quality is value to some person. There are some additions to that. So some people say, okay, it's value to some person who matters. That could be the case, right? So our stakeholders matter or our customers matter. So I do feel like quality very much depends on what we're actually building. So if we look at the quality of Facebook, they are known for this better ship it rather than make it perfect. Sure, it's not a problem if your friend's photo doesn't load for five minutes. However, if you work in a bank and the financial transaction went wrong, that's a different conversation. So I would say quality is very contextual. It's always a conversation. When I join a company, I always ask as well, uh, what is quality to the main stakeholders so that I know what I'm working with? So this idea that better uh, done than actually still in the works, but working towards perfection. I also would say, let's release the smallest piece of work. Let's let's release these little iterations because I have seen as well product people stopping the release because they want to release the second version of the product that's perfect, that would not have any features missing from what customers may expect. And, but here, like, there's lots of philosophical ideas, right, that we can think about when it comes to quality and trade-offs. I do not believe that quality is something that we compromise on when we're releasing things. We can still release good quality products. And right now, customers do expect something that's quality-like. But what's quality? It depends on the context. Okay, so I'm going to dig into that a little bit more because... You also talk about high quality products. If it if it's dependent on the context, how do we kind of uh, draw a line in the sand? Like, how do we get that balance right? And how do we know, you know, how do we know where to draw that line in order to ensure that it's high quality, but it's not, we're not kind of suffering sort of very long lead times because we're being a bit too pedantic about, you know, a button maybe being two pixels to the left or something like that. Actually, there's this understanding sometimes or misconception that quality means that it's somehow slower. However, reading Accelerate, we know this quote, slow down in order to speed up. I strongly believe in this, that sometimes getting things right in a sense, in our sense, in our context, to begin with, could make us faster in the long run. So quality is not really slowing us down. However, it still is important to talk about what matters to us right now. So what can, what do we have to get right? And what can we get wrong in this first iteration? What are we fine to get wrong? There are some examples on how we could do these trade-offs. Uh, there is a nice talk also on uh, the business value of quality by 
uh, my previous colleagues, actually, Nina Hillekum and Finlor Bear, where they speak about work between a QA and a product manager, how they were pairing with each other and how QA was really striving for this sort of perfection or let's make this functional and how product manager wanted to release it and how they learned to decide on the trade-offs on what matters to them in their context. An example from engineering part could be here what I heard from Ron Wilson, who was talking about actually monitoring. And he said that there's a way to not over-engineer. So for example, when we're building something, maybe instead of uh, making a full-blown f- uh, product, we could check uh, for edge cases if they ever happen. What it means, we have a nice foundation of our quality standards. For example, we have good monitoring so that we understand what's happening in production. And what he suggested like really blew my mind because he said, why do we write this code for all the edge cases that may never happen? Of course, this is a conversation with everyone in the team to decide what matters to us, right? Can we allow ourselves to fail in this edge case? If the answer is yes, maybe instead of writing the implementation code for this edge case, we could create an alert. And when it happens in production, then we know, okay, we should tackle this one. So I really like this approach. It was something I never thought of as a QA because I would think that edge case should be covered. But I do believe it's always a conversation about the trade-offs, about what matters to us as a product to get it right and what is okay to get wrong. And we're aware of it. I believe though here it's a lot about collaboration rules as well and about making people feel valued because a QA in the team may feel, oh, I raised all these edge cases and nobody took a look at it or nobody cared about it. So maybe here we can write it down and say, okay, we will, we are aware of it. Let's see how it performs. Let's gather some more feedback. Maybe we will get to it in the future. So still to make them feel appreciated. Um, Another case I can think of is actually just testing in production in a sense, the the need of something, which would be, um, for example, implementing a dummy button, just that to see if customers would click on it. If they do click on it, then we know the, the demand for something. And I would buy this as someone striving for very good quality from a product uh, person in the team. Definitely. I love experiments and I feel like Agile is about experiments, which is like the the maybe one kind of um, misunderstanding also that we get that Agile is all kinds of many things, but it's just experiments. And the same thing, testing is experiments, right? So we're we're trying to learn a lot of new information about our product. Um, Yeah, wait, I ended in a weird spot. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's absolutely fine. Uh, So Lena... You were talking about edge cases there. You were talking about experiments. Before we get into all those things, just an even more basic question. How do you measure quality? Is it bugs or support calls or sp- scores on accessibility tools? Is, is it, it depends answer? And if so, what does it depend on? <laughs> but yeah, how do you measure it? I love the, the topic of metrics because I feel like in teams, we have to have motivating metrics so that our teams are motivated to work on the products we're building. And number of bugs is not a motivating metric, in my opinion, because we can really rig it. 
uh, we can play it. And it's not very productive or number of lines of code as well. I feel like the best metrics are multidimensional. Um, some of the metrics I like are accelerates four key metrics. For example, lead time, where we can measure how fast we're delivering something or how fast do we recover when something fails. Uh, in addition, I also would look at even team happiness metrics because as a QA in teams, I often would call this role as the team glue because you're observing everything in the team and you're seeing what makes people be effective. And if there are some bottlenecks, it could be as well that there are problems because someone is having a bad time at home. And we're humans. We bring ourselves to work full on and that affects the work we do. And it's important to keep our teams happy. Uh, an example here that I can think of is Etsy. They have buttons in their office asking, how was your day? And I loved it the moment I saw it. I was like, oh, I'd love to have this as well. And I know, that, of course, we measure in all kinds of surveys, our employee happiness, but I think it's extremely important. So I'd say Accelerate's key, four key metrics are nice. I also like team happiness. I also saw a post about um, metrics like the percentage of developers that are writing tests. If it's anywhere less than 100%, you have a problem. So I would also joke mm -hmm. around about with metrics like that because I feel they can help us to improve. And I want all the metrics we're using basically to be a guideline how we can improve and uh, do better rather than play something and say, oh, hey, I did not find any bugs or create any bugs. So you know, you talked about two different things there. One was uh, around the user's experience of using the product, and the other was about the employee's experience about making the products. And both of those things are somebody's perception and their experience and how they feel about uh, being involved with the product. So is quality the same thing in some ways as experience, user experience, and, and, and employee experience? Or is there something fundamentally different between experience and quality does that am i going down a, or am i just going down a weird philosophical rabbit hole i'm not sure i love philosophy so i can try to elaborate <laughs> on this um i feel like quality is a big umbrella term and it is almost everything and when i joined the company i also spoke that yeah quality is so many things when we are using it and when we're saying that we want to build high quality thing, what do we actually mean by that? So very often I would ask back whomever said that. For me, it's always high quality products and teams because I do not see um, bad team experience building a good product. I do feel like they are related. So quality for me is almost everything in life, I would say. Okay. And you've got some great tips around like actually how to work with teams to achieve some good quality and some ceremonies and some tools that you use like story kickoff, the story kickoff ceremony, which I hadn't heard of before. So take us through what that is um, and how it works. Of course. So Coming back to like happy teams, I feel like happy teams collaborate. 
a lot and they feel great in their own skin, right? So I can bring my full self to work because I feel like I belong and I belong the way I am with my authentic skill set and quirks that I bring in and strengths and weaknesses and we as a team somehow complement each other. So collaboration is a vital role here. And mostly diverse teams build innovative products. And it's not an easy process at all. So when it comes to a story kickoff, it's basically a ceremony that I've seen work in teams where a pair of developers, if the company is doing pairing, as well as a QA, a PO, or anyone actually involved in this um, or interested in this story, uh, join in for 15 minutes to go through the work task that they're about to work on. So the developers who are going to work on it sit down with PO, with QA, who have read the requirements, who are aware what we're building, and they go through a certain list of questions. Teams can define those themselves on what works for them. I've seen teams include questions like, how are we going to see it in a sign-off or like towards the end? Because... And, and why those questions are actually in, included, right? They are included from learnings, from failures that that team has gone through. In that particular case, what we have faced in the past and why this question was added to this list was because we had the requirement of a login. So we said, as a user, when I log in, I see this. And developers understood it as any user, you just log in so I can give you admin credentials and you will log in. The PO, when they were creating the story, thought of it as, as a user in an existing e-commerce site. When I log in with my user account, I get to access this product. And when it was delivered, there was a big conflict because developers said, hey, you did not specify this. So you said anyone can log in. So I gave you admin credentials. You can log in. And then... With all this situation happening, we decided to include this question. So we have this 15 minutes to go through the acceptance criteria. Is it clear? Everyone is in one place or they can have it online as well in, in now, nowadays. And they ask any open questions and they also answer, okay, how are we going to test it? How are we going to show it? And then they say, okay, if I'm a user, I click on this and then I see this. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay, let's do it. And I feel like the ceremony may sound a little bit mundane or not really necessary for some teams. However, we have so many assumptions and misunderstandings. And I feel like the best teams I work with had the biggest collaboration. So they did not think that, hey, I'm perfect and I understand everything that you wrote. No, I can maybe ask twice before I implement something that is completely wrong and I misunderstood. Are you ready for Mind the Product San Francisco conference happening in June? If you've been before, you're probably feeling a bit like me, desperate for your MTP con fix. And if you're new to it, this is the product conference not to miss. If you're a product person looking to advance your career, expand your network, get inspired and bring the best products to market, then this is for you. So what can you expect? Well, 
MTPCon is known for their epic lineup of speakers, renowned product leaders with invaluable insights and tactics to share. They cover a range of exciting topics that will challenge and inspire you to step up as a product manager, always with something tangible to take away into your own product practice. And don't let location hold you back. Even if you can't join in person in San Francisco, you can still be part of the action with their convenient digital-only option. This event is a must-attend for anyone seeking to elevate their product management game. Find out more and book your ticket at mindtheproduct.com slash Sam dash Francisco. It's interesting because that is definitely one of those ones that sounds like more work, but I can absolutely see how it can like reduce the amount of work because it aligns everyone completely right from the beginning. So there's another couple of things that you talk about as well. Um, And I think I I learned about these um, a long time ago from someone who was a big Scrum fan. So I think they're borrowed from Scrum or like part of Scrum, which is the definition of done and the definition of ready. Do you want to take us through how you use these in your quality processes? Absolutely. So definition of done and definition of ready are artifacts. And very often people may be asking, is ready the same as done? Why do we have two kind of definitions? How do we use them? And ready in the the in the in the way ways of work I have worked in usually is when we're ready to pick it up. So basically when in our story life cycle we are finished with requirements, with analysis, and we're saying, hey, it's time to pick it up. And this is where also story kickoff would come in as a ceremony. And definition of done would be when we're ready to release it to production, when it is in production. So that could be one point in definition of done. Why do we have these artifacts? It's again, helping us as reminders. Very often, um, I would also recommend to have these more as question lists rather than checklists because uh, checklists may feel like, okay, I, again, you need to fill in the same thing. But the question mark would say, hey, is performance relevant for this story? If not, we don't even need to discuss it. Are performance requirements implemented? Not, not relevant here. So this is why I would formulate it in questions. And I, again, would formulate it based on the team's maturity, because it comes from retrospectives, it comes from discussions, and it comes from learnings. An example I could give here on how definition of done, for example, has um, taken place in one of the teams I worked with. We would uh, say that we're finished with development and move cards away, and we did not see those work items anymore, but they were not in production. Nobody could see it. And also we would leave lots of things unfinished. So for example, we would use feature toggles and we would not clean up afterwards. So having definition of done is like a reminder. So anyone who's about to move to a done column, they have this checklist or question list and they take a look and say, hey, did I update documentation? Yes, I did. Did I clean up the feature toggles? Yes, I did. Okay, I will move it to done. Same goes for picking up some stories. So this is more like a reminder for product managers as well and QAs. And one of the questions I like to include in definition already is, did like three amigos take a look at this? 
Meaning, did we have a collaboration session? Was the QA involved thinking about edge cases? So this is the building the right product part. Are we having also as small of a user story as we can? Or is it a monster here? Um, And all those questions, having those answered and having items really ready to pick up, it makes us much faster because as developer, they pick up, it's, it has this nice information. A lot of people took a look at it. We're not sending it back the same way as when we're moving something to done, we know that we're done. So we don't have to, again, rework. I think a vital part in all these ways of work, as well as uh, shipping products and building the right thing the right way, is the fact that, sure, if we don't do this collaboration uh, efforts, we can release items, but then we may have lots of production issues. And if we have a production issue, that means also rework. The further we find the issue in the development process, the more it costs for us to fix it. If we find it in the requirement stage, this is where product uh, manager may pair up with the QA and think about different edge cases. It costs not much because we haven't started development even. But if we talk about it and make sure that we are getting it right, we understand each other as a team, we can prevent a lot of those bugs happening. You've Talked about edge cases a couple of times. I just want to be clear about what constitutes an edge case. I'm sure you've been in places where someone reported a bug or a problem and said, this isn't working. And then you find out, oh, it doesn't work on a Nintendo Game Boy. And it was never intended to work on the Game Boy or on a fridge or things like that. Um, So where do you cut the line? Where Where do you go from this is a valid use case to this is an edge case and... Yeah. How far, how do you make that judgment? I love this question because very often we say that we represent our users. Me as a QA, I've said it many times. I feel like product people also say it very often, but I've been humbled in my work experience many times. I've been humbled by data and I had situations where I understood that actually the issue that I thought is critical is not critical at all, that it is an edge case. What happened was, for example, years back when IE 11 was still a thing, when people were using Internet Explorer, we had lots of bugs there, right? And we as a team, the team I worked for, it was a work for automotive company. We decided that, hey, who uses IE 11? We should just stop supporting it. And we were so certain of our decision that, you know, nobody's using it anymore. Why don't we just drop the support? And we went there so confident with our suggestion to just drop IE 11. The analytics came back and it was our top browser because our users were far from (laughs) from us. So they were very different than we were. Um, it was 30% of people using IE 11. So they could not drop the support at all. So this is one of the examples I can think of where I really thought that nobody uses IE 11 and they do. Another example I had also was once I found a big critical issue and I thought, okay, this is not functional at all. And then I looked at data. So I love data and I feel like data is vital for us making decisions. 
be it a support uh, request or is it just uh, looking at data in production for which we do need a good base, right? So if we build a good product and we want to ship it, I would say this is something that's non-negotiable for us. So if we have a good monitoring system, then we can learn a lot from production and we can understand our decisions better as well. So in that case, I found an issue. It seemed critical. I looked at the data. It was 1% of the people that were facing it. So all this urgent, let's drop everything and fix this effect dropped. And I was a bit disappointed. I felt like I found such a good catch. And it turns out it wasn't that big of a deal. So I feel like for us to understand what is vital and what is an edge case, it's not only a discussion, which is also important for us, right? So maybe if we are a design agency, for us, one pixel to a, a wrong side is, is a big problem. However, it's also looking at the data and understanding what is important to our users. And I love to add the impact of a bug to a bug report. If it's possible, I feel like it really helps us to understand how to prioritize it. So in prioritization, I always try to include the supports feedback, if they have ever heard that user reported this, as well as any kind of data I may have uh, to support that this issue actually affects a lot of people. So Lena, um, I've generally worked in quite small teams where rarely do we have the pleasure of a QA person in our team. Uh, and we've often had to kind of get on by without having a dedicated QA person. When do you think with sort of smaller teams, when do you think is the right time to bring a QA person in? And um, what kind of skills are you looking for in that QA person? You know, you've mentioned being very collaborative and also being very interested in data. Um, is that something you would expect? And was, is there anything else that you need from, from your QA person? I am known to be a bit strict in hiring because I tend to look for these unicorn QAs who have a very modern mindset. And it's not easy to find them, let me tell you this. But when it comes <laughs> to when include the QA, I would say as early as possible. So when the team gets set up, I would say that it's a role that is vital for the team and collaborating from the very start. So if we are thinking about building quality in, not just testing it in, that would mean that we're starting from scratch. We're trying to prevent bugs, not only detect them. Because I feel like bugs usually have two reasons why they happen. I always say bug is a symptom. So it's a learning for the team to understand what happened. It's either because we missed a requirement. So we did not think of it somehow. We somehow, it slips through our heads, some kind of case. Or we missed it in engineering. So maybe we did not add an automated check somewhere where we should have had it. Maybe we did not develop it properly. And QA would work with both product and engineering here, uh, with working with product, collaborating, pairing on requirements, making sure that the questions are answered, that it's clear, um, as well as questioning a lot if it is the right product. Sometimes I would even translate QA as question asker because I feel that is a big power that QAs have, this question asking. 
And when it comes to engineering, I feel like it's also pairing with engineering and asking them that they create enough of confidence for us to release. Do we have a confidence net of automated checks? Are we testing on the right levels? Um, how are we getting feedback on that, that we're actually engineering the right way? It all comes back again to monitoring. Are we implementing that? What about security regulations? What about accessibility? And right now it can cost us lots of money if we are not doing this right. So I feel like there's mm. lots of opportunities for the QA to be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier about diversity uh, in your team. And um, as I was kind of thinking of, of questions for our interview, and I was thinking about the kind of QA processes and like often you'll define what devices you want to test on or what browsers you want to support. Um, but we don't really, I mean, maybe we do to a degree, but like thinking about the different customers that we want to represent as well and ensuring that we almost kind of test the feature on different customers. Like we don't really have a process for doing that, even though there's obviously very diverse people out there who think in different ways, who have different needs how as a QA person or even as a product manager, because, you know, quite often I think PMs support with QA, how can we try to ensure that we're meeting the needs of all of the customers that we have? I feel like it starts as well in building teams that are diverse in themselves. One of the most high-performing teams I worked in had seven different people from seven different nationalities we spoke seven different native languages. We even created our little vocabulary uh, list where we would say, how do we say good morning in those different languages? And that also was very challenging. Having diversity does not mean it will be easy. It will be challenging. We're coming ourselves with our, our different habits. So first of all, making diverse team and an example here, why would be also how I think Apple watches started and they did not work on darker skin tones. And you may think, come on, how didn't they think of like such a big part of population? Why didn't they think of that? Well, because their team was white people. They did not test with anyone else with darker skin tone. They did not think of that. So for us to be aware of it as well, we have to... First of all, understand that we are not um, gods. We don't understand everything. We are not omnipresent. We cannot assume that we don't do mistakes. And sometimes it's also getting an expert. For example, for accessibility, I would really recommend companies to have someone who is a professional in that field and can do a good accessibility audit. Because me using a screen reader is very different than a person with visual impairment using screen reader. So I may not know how they actually use it. I just assume. It's good for the first check, but I would say get a person who really is an expert in that and let's believe them and trust them when they say it. So it's a difficult question actually to answer because diversity is, 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 has so many spectrums, has a big dimension. So there's so many different people. Uh, it's also a conversation to have, right, about personas. Who are our personas? Who do we want to include? And uh, how do they use the product differently? Maybe this is also user interviews and understanding how they use the product differently 
Um, but also, I would say, having representation in the companies, in the teams, and in the leadership, if it's possible, because it goes from top down, and we do see Combe slow very often in practice. Lena, that's great. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely talking to you about all of this. Um, before we wrap up, I'm just going to ask for one quick little snippet of um, extra snippet of uh, amazing advice from you. <laughs> um, what would be your top tip for um, a product or product team or a product manager um, when they're considering quality, like if you could wave a magic wand and have every team do something differently, what would it be? Hmm, that's a tough question, right? I, I asked this in my podcast, what's the one tip you would give? And when I get this question, <laughs> I'm wondering myself. I am thinking of the quote I really like, which is, Ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. So let's all have this failure mindset and learn that we are not finished product ourselves. We are constantly learning and that failures are great. It's information. It's improving our product and teams. So let's learn to embrace failure and learn from mistakes. Amazing. Thank you, Lena. That's so good. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>